mystery of spiritual growth. Ever wondered about growth and how it works? And, and uh, some of it's pretty clear, but sometimes it's a little bit mysterious. We don't quite get it. Um, marriage counselors say that one of the primary causes of conflict in households involves dispute over what's, uh, what's generally called the division of labor, the division of labor. In other words, if the bed goes unmade, if the dishes go unwashed, if the lawn goes uncut, who is responsible for getting the job done? Some households have never had a calm, rational discussion about who is best equipped to take out the garbage or take the kids to school. And in the end, sometimes things don't get done because people in that relationship think the other one is responsible, the division of labor. And that conflict, if it's not taken care of, can lead to decay and breakdown and even the destruction of a relationship. And so, we all understand about the division of labor. Well, the gospel is the offer of life in God's kingdom, a pure relationship with him. God's plan is that his image, which is in us, which has become marred by sin and rebellion, should be restored in all of its beauty and glory. You might picture a rust bucket heap of a car or truck carefully restored to its pristine original state. That's what God wants to do in your life and in my life. In the Bible, it's a fancy word called sanctification. Sanctification is that process of restoration that takes place for all of God's children as he takes us from where we were to where we are meant to be. Now, for many Christians, there's some confusion and even mystery about this, what we might call the division of labor as it relates to our spiritual growth. We might ask, is it God's job or is it my job? Well, some Christians have taken the position that this process of sanctification is solely God's job. And so they might say, I, I can't do anything at all. It's all on God. And they might even pull a scripture out like uh, uh, Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 and 19 where Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but the, not the ability carry it out. And I do not do the good I want, but uh, the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And we kind of kind of resonate with that frustration at times. But using a passage like this, somebody might say, well, see, human action is futile. There's nothing we can do. In fact, some Christ followers would even call uh, any strenuous effort on our part, any costly following saying, oh, that's not good because that's human effort and it's opposed to God's grace. So that's kind of one side of the coin. And then on the other hand, there are some Christians that kind of take a, uh, we, we, may call a, we might call a military discipline approach to life, evaluating spiritual growth as a product of one's commitment level. And so they look to verses like uh, James and James 1, 15 and 16, where, where it says, just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And so in effect, they, they say that it's God's job to make sure he's holy, and their job is to make sure that they're holy. And then by the way, sometimes it's their job to make sure other people are being holy as well, right? 
And so throughout church history, there have been some zealous Christians who were determined to sanctify themselves. And the church then sometimes becomes a place of almost a contest to see who is the most holy, who's memorized the most scripture passages, who's best at following the rules of Christian culture, who has prayed the most, who does the most. And people with this kind of checklist mentality believe that as long as they're doing the right things, they must be growing spiritually, even if love and joy aren't a part of that process. And so we find ourselves asking that question, whose job is it? Is it God's or is it ours, this process of spiritual growth, sanctification? And what I want to tell us today, friends, is that our sanctification is a joint project between God and us. Let's take a look at our key Bible passage today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. The words are on the screen. Let's read this together. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Amen. The word of God. Well, I want you to first notice something about this passage. And that, Paul, that is that Paul says, work out your own salvation. That means our role must be important, right? Paul said it. Then he goes on to say, though, that it is God who works in you. You see, we're not doing this project on our own. Sanctification, our spiritual growth is empowered by God. In fact, we could say it is impossible without him. Now, when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, oh, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? But I don't think he means that we should work out our salvation with a sense of anxiety, stress, not knowing whether we're ever gonna be good enough for God. I think instead what Paul is doing here is he's using this phrase to refer to this attitude of dependence on God. I can't do it on my own, and therefore I work it out with fear and trembling, trusting in God to do what I cannot do on my own. He's suggesting that we have a role to play, but it's not all on us. And I hope that resonates with you. That should make you feel a little bit freer to understand it's not all on me. God is going to do what I can't do in and of myself. You know, some things we can control, right? We can make a telephone call. We can drive a car. We can run an errand. Those are all things that we have complete control about. But there's some things that we really can't do anything about, right? How about like the weather? Only God can control the weather. I can't right? Things, some things are just beyond our control. But then I want you to think about this. There's a kind of a third category. And, and here's a good example. Think about going to sleep. No one can make you go to sleep. Remember when you were a kid and they said, go to bed and go to sleep. And you weren't ready. And mom and dad couldn't make you. You might lay there and be really quiet or you might make noise, but it's tough. What do we do? 
You can't make yourself go to sleep the way that you can make a telephone call. But there are some things you can do to help, right? You can go into a dark room. You can lay down on a comfortable mattress. You can turn out the lights. And if we're patient, sleep will come. Think of it this way, about the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. In a, a motorboat, I'm in control, right? I start the engine. I control the speed. I steer. I go wherever I want. But sailing is a bit different. When I'm sailing, now I'm not passive. I certainly have a role to play. I hoist the sails. I steer the rudder. But I am utterly dependent on the wind. Is that right? There's no room for believing I'm in complete control because guess what? If the wind don't blow, I'm not going anywhere in my sailboat. When the wind blows, on the other hand, amazing, great things can happen. Jesus says something amazing that's recorded in John chapter 3 and verse 8. I want you to listen to his words. These are the words of our Lord. The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, that's us. People born of the Spirit. The word for wind is the same word for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in both Hebrew and in Greek. And so Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it chooses. It's free. It's powerful. It's beyond our control. And that's the wind out there. But so it is with everyone born of the Spirit, through whom the life, the winds of God are blowing. The sanctifying work, the growth that the Spirit brings is powerful. And in some ways it is mysterious. We can't control it. We can't manufacture it. It's not about us coming up with a program with predictable results that we can measure or a checklist that we can maintain and complete and then feel self-satisfied. On the other hand, we're not passive either. Our job as followers of Christ is to discern where the wind of the Spirit is blowing and then know how to catch it. And so for the remainder of our time this morning, I want to discuss four crucial truths that the Bible teaches us about this process of sanctification or spiritual growth, our growth from sinfulness to holiness. Now, just a bit further in, in the book of Philippians, we just read a passage in chapter 2, but in the next chapter, in chapter 3, in verse 12, Paul goes on to speak about his own sanctification as he encourages God's people in this journey. And he says, not that I have already obtained all this, as he's teaching us about it, and he says, I haven't obtained it all either. Or that I've already been made perfect or complete, but Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So Paul's identity is already secure in Christ, but not because of how well he is doing. In the next verse, he goes on and he says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which 
God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about this process of growing, of pressing on. The first critical truth that we want to learn this morning about sanctification is that sanctification for the follower is obligatory, not optional. God has called us. We have a clear goal and purpose as Christ's followers. Paul says that he might miss some things along the way, but this one thing, this one thing, this process of growing in Christ, he does. And friends, we too might make some mistakes along the way. We may have to let go of a lot of other things, but this, this thing we have an obligation to pursue, our sanctification, our spiritual growth, that is what we're called to pursue. Remember in verse 12 of our key text this morning, Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part, as we're calling it today, our obligation. Not our option, but our obligation. Now, sometimes it seems difficult to be made holy. It seems to take a long time. Sometimes we're tempted to think sanctification is something that we can take or leave. But the truth is, every follower of Jesus is in the process of being formed spiritually in some way. The question is not if we're going to be formed, but rather by whom will we be formed? Isn't that interesting to think about? About 20 years ago, there was a, a movie that came out, the movie Cast Away. And in the movie, if you remember that, Chuck Nolan is the, is the guy, the, the main character. He's a, kind of a troubleshooter for FedEx, the, the package delivery company. And, and he's on the spot, and he's fixing things, and he travels all over the world. Uh, the main character's played by Tom Hanks. And it turns out that he gets stranded on a, on a deserted tropical island. He's the sole survivor of this plane crash. And the film tells the story of basically the next four years of this guy's life. Apart from some small protection on the island and a steady supply of coconuts, the island provides little else for its sole inhabitant. But kind of in Robinson Crusoe style, he learns to survive in that setting. And it starkly contrasts who he was before. He knows that guy, it's a sin to lose time. Let's get going. Let's fix things. That's the kind of driven guy he was. And so those four years begin as, as Nolan, it, it, he awakes to the crashing sound of the waves on his new tropical island home and he's sitting there in the sand and he begins to unpack a few of the packages that have washed up on the shore that survived the, the plane crash. And it's a series of seemingly useless items, videotapes, a, a pair of ice skates. That's going to be great on a tropical island. Uh, an evening gown. And, of course, a volleyball. You remember the volleyball? Wilson! And so he opens all the packages to, package to see what's there that he can use. But there's one package that he never opens. One medium-sized cardboard box. It's identified only with a pair of hand-drawn angel wings. And he keeps that box sealed for the four years that he's cut off from civilization. Well, long story short, eventually he builds a raft. He gets off the island. He's picked up by a ship. And at the very end of the movie, 
we see Nolan escorting that unopened box up a dusty Texas country road to a farmhouse. And he knocks on the door. No one answers. No one's home. He leaves that, that weathered box against the door, and he writes a short note. He says, thanks. This package saved my life. This package saved my life. And with that note, the, the meaning of that mysterious box is revealed throughout the movie. And the, the meaning is this. We really cannot live without a purpose. We must have a purpose to keep us going. And friends, our purpose as followers of Christ is growth. It is change. It is sanctification. If we are not formed and changed by God, then our spiritual adversary, Satan, will be happy to do the task. You know, we live in a world that regularly deforms people spiritually. You see that happening all around us, right? In our culture, in our world. God wants to form us. That is our purpose in life. And so let me ask you this this morning. What drives you? What is it that keeps you going in the midst of being stuck on an inhospitable island of brokenness and disappointment and envy and anger and strife all around us? What keeps you going? Are you pursuing your spiritual growth with full resolve? You know, it amazes me what people will pursue in life. People will pursue all kinds of things with focus, full of devotion and passion, their career, a favorite hobby or pastime, a home improvement project, their favorite sports team, some other goal in their life, and they're sold out for whatever it is. They're focused. But many Christ followers are seemingly hesitant, negligent, or even uninterested in pursuing growth, holiness, sanctification as the purpose of their lives. Friends, the offer of the gospel is the offer to be changed, sanctified. Jesus' message was repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven is drawing near, he said. And now you can begin to live in that. And if we believe that, and if we have done that, then it must be a conscious choice to live God's kind of life. Sanctification is simply another word for living a life of truth and joy and humility and servanthood. And if we don't want to live that life now, then what makes us think we'd want to live that life eternally when we go to be with God? You see, it's God's will that we would grow, that we would change. Sanctification is our obligation to pursue. It's not merely one of many options or choices that the world might have to offer us. It is God's choice of a relationship with him and our obligation to pursue it full of passion, focus, and desire. Well, let's look at a second truth about sanctification, and that is that it is a process, not an event. I want you to think of a time maybe when you took a long vacation, maybe with your kids, your grandkids, young people, 
What's the, what's the first question they ask from the back seat? Remember? Are we there yet? You got it. Are we there yet? You could be gone three minutes. Are we there yet? Some people live their life that way. Are we there yet? Ever seen somebody waiting for an elevator and they're pressing the button over and over and over and over again? Somehow they believe maybe that that elevator is going to say to itself, oh, that guy down there on the fourth floor, he's in a big hurry. I better skip all the other floors, get right down there to him. You see, we're an instant gratification culture. But sanctification, our growth, our pursuit of God's plan and purpose for us, it doesn't happen that way. Paul, in essence, says, am I there yet? And then his answer is, no, not yet. Not there yet. Not, Not there today. And I'm not there tomorrow. But what does Paul say? This one thing I do. I don't give up. I keep after it, going in the direction that God points me. In in verse 13 of our text, Paul reminds us, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see the words of process in that little verse? An ongoing process of God working in and through us for his purpose, for his good pleasure. Friends, we don't live this life for our pleasure. If we're a Christ follower, we we live it for his good pleasure. And in this pursuit of sanctification, of growth, guess what? Sometimes we're going to fail. That's just the truth. We're going to fail. So what should we do if we're serious about pursuing this process and we fail? Or we slip into bad behavior. Remember in verse 13 of chapter 3, Paul kind of wrote about a strategy for dealing with our regrets, with our failures. And he expresses it really in a single word, forget. What did he say? I forget what is behind me. I forget what's behind me and I press on toward the goal. That is the process. Now, we often think of forgetting as a bad thing. Oh, I forgot. I'm so sorry, I forgot. Oh, I'm frustrated because I keep forgetting. But forgetting is not always a bad thing. It's not always something that we shouldn't do. In fact, forgetting is indispensable to our spiritual growth process. We must learn to ask the Holy Spirit, will you help me? Will you help me, Lord, to overcome yesterday's mistakes? My sin, my guilt, my failure, my disappointments. I need to learn whatever it is that ought to be learned, but then, friends, we have to move on, pressing on toward the goal. We can't be shackled by yesterday's regrets because this process of growth is just that, a process, a journey not just a one-time event. That's why Paul said, I forget what lies behind. Friends, it's guaranteed we're going to slip. The danger is when we slip, when we fail, are we tempted to give up? Because that's what the evil one wants us to do. Give up. Look back at that trail of brokenness in your past. Remember that. Let it burden you. But Paul urges us, no, to keep going 
in our process. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the goal. Paul doesn't allow his failures nor his successes to keep him trapped in yesterday. Our growth, our sanctification is a process. Don't give up. Sanctification for the follower is obligatory. It's what we're called to do. It's not optional. It is a process, not an event. Number three, sanctification comes from God. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. If we're sailboats, it is God that is the one who's supplying the wind. When when writing about the, the transforming power of holiness, spiritual growth, sanctification, Paul sometimes uses what's called the imperative. Now imperative, when something's written in the imperative, it's a command. Do it. For instance, stop. It's imperative. Stop. But then there's another form that sometimes Paul uses. Sometimes it's used in Scripture. It's called the passive, the passive voice. And that is when something happens to you. Oh, I got hit by another vehicle. I got struck by a sudden illness. You see, those are the outside forces coming against us. It's passive. But when Paul talks about transformation, most often he uses something called the passive imperative. He, he mixes them together. It's a combination of the two. Here's an example of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 when Paul says, do not, that's the imperative, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be shaped into the mold of this world. But he goes on and he says, be transformed. That's the passive. Outside force changing us by the renewing of your mind so that you might discern, look carefully and see what the will of God is. It's an imperative, but Paul doesn't say transform yourself. Instead, he says, be transformed. And so where are the winds of the Spirit blowing in your life? Where and how is God at work in you? What sin, what hardship is he seeking to free you from? It's up to us to discern, to look carefully into these matters. And there's a few ways that we can do that as we look at how the Spirit is blowing, moving in our life. And one way is just to regularly ask this question, all right? God, God, how are you seeking to transform me today? How often do we ask that question? God, what are you doing today? What changes do you want to make in my life? What do you want to transform in my life, Lord? For instance, when you're in the lane at the grocery store, somebody in front of you is mathematically challenged and you're frustrated and you're thinking, ah, maybe we need to ask God, how can you use this moment to transform me in the area of patience? Maybe you're on the verge of procrastinating yet again on an important project. Maybe we need to ask God, how do you want to train me in this moment to persevere, to press through? Another question you might ask God's Spirit as you're seeking and discerning how the wind is blowing in your life. Maybe you can ask this question when you're dealing with a particularly difficult person or a a really trying circumstance in your life. Try asking this question. 
Lord, through which spiritual practices, which disciplines are you seeking to change me today? What do I need to exercise more in, God? You see, this entire business of learning to rely on the Holy Spirit as our counselor from moment to moment to tell him everything is challenging. It's challenging because our culture tells us, do it on your own. Figure it out yourself. You can do it. But God says, no, you can't do it all by yourself. You need me. My wind is blowing over here. Come this way. And it's up to us to see and discern how that works. God is using that process to breathe life into us. To speak truth into us. That's why our spiritual growth is never a mechanical thing. It's never this, this, this checklist process. That's why it will look different in your life than it does in mine from one person to the next. And it will look different at different eras in our life as we change and grow. We need to discern how God's Spirit is at work. That word discern that comes up so often in, scripture, in scriptures, it's, it comes from the same word we get our, our word microscope, scopos, all right? To look carefully into something. God wants us to discern to look carefully into his word, to look carefully to see where his spirit is guiding. We, how do we do that? Well, we can use his word. We might need to ask some folks who we trust who are spiritually mature and who know us well what they see in us. Are there areas that you see in me where I need to make some changes? You see, it's up to us to identify the spiritual practices that are especially important for our growth and then to devote ourselves to them, and then to allow each moment to be a training exercise for our growth as God's Spirit blows into our life. Remember verse 13 of our original text, for it is God who works in you. So our sanctification is obligatory, it's a process, and it comes from God not from us. And then finally, I want to close up with this. As we pursue sanctification, we do it for others, not just for ourselves. You know, so often we talk about our personal life. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. My spiritual life, my spiritual leanings. And we get very personal about it. It's all about me. But there can be a real danger in pursuing spiritual growth because if it gets off track, we become very individualistic and even selfish, even in our spiritual life. That's nothing new as we live in this very individualistic, selfish culture. It's nothing new. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that when Jesus was around on this earth, that he had a couple of groups of people that were continually bugging him. The scribes and the Pharisees. And they thought of themselves as very holy, sanctified. They had arrived. But guess what their problem was? They couldn't love anybody. They were too absorbed in themselves. The New Testament never defines spirituality or this process of growth solely in individualistic terms. 
in verse 14 of our text today, Paul writes, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why do you think he has to add that in there in this process about spiritual growth? Do it without grumbling or disputing. Who are we grumbling and disputing to? Other people. People that we're in this journey with towards Jesus. And Paul wants to remind the church, focus. Go God's way and do it without grumbling and complaining. In other words, as the community of Christ matures in their own growth process, we do that corporately and individually, but as we do it together, here's what we should find. No grumbling, no arguing, just grateful hearts. Bitterness and resentment will be replaced by a community of servanthood. Unfortunately, many of us are aware of local churches where people are growing more cantankerous and bitter, and yet they're thought of as being very holy, sanctified people. Paul most often defines this process of spiritual growth within the context of community. And it's important that we understand this. If we don't, then the pursuit of spiritual growth in our life can become distorted in a way that makes it all about me. And we can get preoccupied about how I'm performing personally, how spiritually uh, fulfilled I feel, and we forget. We forget to live a life of servanthood and love towards others. And guess what? If we go too far down that path, we become a spiritual narcissist. That means our spiritual life is all about me. Ever talk to somebody that says, oh, me and the man upstairs, we got an agreement. Doesn't matter what this says. Doesn't matter what the church teaches. Me and the man upstairs, we, that's narcissism. It's all about me. You see, friends, the goal of this process this growth process, this sanctification process, in a single word, the goal is this, love. It's love. That's what Jesus said, right? What's the most important commandment, Jesus? Remember when he was asked that? And what did he answer? Love, love God, and love others. Everything else hangs from that. And so as we grow spiritually, our goal is to grow in love. Love for God, love for others. There's a huge difference between being sanctified and being sanctimonious, right? Sanctimonious is all about me. Yet sometimes we get those mixed up. The goal of sanctification is loving others. I want to close with a story, and I think this maybe will help us illustrate how, how powerful this idea of growing in our spiritual life is. Uh, author John Ortberg shares this story. He, he writes, I have a friend who in many ways would not do well in a contest for holiness. He has deep wounds that still affect him in many ways. He had no father growing up. His mother was a very difficult person. She married five different men, none of them lasting very long. She had little time for my friend when he was a child and failed to give him very much encouragement. 
He goes on in his story and he says, several years ago, my friend's mother developed a, a serious degenerative muscular disease and she gradually lost almost every physical capacity. None of her adult children would have anything to do with her. And not one of the men to whom she'd been married even acknowledged what she was going through. My friend, however, decided to love. He took her into his home, and he cared for her, feeding her by hand, combing her hair, cleaning up after her messes. About a year ago, Mr. Ortberg says, I was in my friend's home, and about all his mom could do was cry and moan incessantly. I found myself wondering, how can he stand this? I thought about my own life and all the blessings that I've been given, the church, scripture, my job, my family, many times greater than this guy. And I thought, I don't know if I could love like this. He goes on and he says, when my friend's mom died, nine people came to her funeral. Not even all her kids came. But my friend was there. My friend was there, and on a little toy tape recorder, he played a tape of his mom singing a Christmas carol. He talked about how she loved Christmas and how when he was a little kid, he used to play the guitar and she would sing with him. He didn't love her perfectly, not by a long shot, but he loved her when loving was hardest. He loved her when no one else would love. And he remembered her with his kind words. Friends, that is what sanctification looks like. This process of growth. I mean, who loves like that? God. God loves like that. God loved you and he loved me when we were hardest to love. God wants to sanctify you. And that's no small task. That is not some spiritual project. And it's not a piece of optional equipment that we add to our Christian life. This is God's destiny for you and for me. And if we miss out on it, we miss out on what we are made for. God's intent is for us to grow, to be sanctified so that, so that we can love as God loves. And so brothers and sisters, as we endeavor to follow God's path of sanctification, we will find people around us will begin to view us a bit differently. And then we will begin to fulfill our true spiritual destiny. The mystery of spiritual growth will be revealed in and through us. And as Paul says in verse 15 of the text, we will be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you and you and you shine as lights in this world. That's what God wants for you. That's his purpose for you and for me.
And so may we do our part and pursue God's calling. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your guidance today.